0: Hey, DER Task Force. We're trying something new by posting one of the latest DER Task Force live meetups on the podcast. We had so much fun with the virtual power plants discussion with OMConnect that we wanted to share it beyond just the meetup event. If you're not familiar with Ohm Connect, they're helping California's grid integrate renewables by unlocking the promise of residential flexible load. They do this via energy markets, their app, smart plugs, and great design. If you're looking for some background on the company, we recommend checking out this latest episode of What It Takes, which is another energy podcast in the space. Lastly, make sure to subscribe to the newsletter on our website, dertaskforce.com, so you can catch all the new monthly meetups we have planned. I'll let Duncan take it away as usual.
1: We're really excited about this. Um, when Ohm Connect kind of announced their big raise and their virtual power plant push and all the cool stuff they've been doing, it, uh, we, just, we knew we had to get them on. Um, and luckily, uh, Cisco and Matt were nice enough to actually respond to us uh, which isn't always the case. So <laughs> thanks for agree- agreeing to join us. Um, I'm pretty sure most of the people here know who Home Connect is, so I'm not going to do much of an introduction. Um, but, but yeah, Home Connect, I think, is leading the way on actually enabling Flexible Load to fully participate in the grid and be like a real resource, not just sort of the backstop emergency resource we think of it uh, in, in a lot of ISOs. Um, so with that, Cisco, maybe I can hand it over to you. I know you have a, a short presentation prepared before we kind of get into more of the uh, community Q&A side of things.
2: Thank you, Duncan. It's awesome to be here. My. Uh co-conspirator Matt Dusterberg is here, co-founder of the company and president. Um, I uh, And so he'll be picking up from me here in a few minutes. Um, and uh, obviously he's the brains of the operation. So make sure that you ask him the target questions. But if uh, you wanna give people just enormous amounts of credit for all the cool stuff, then feel free. I'm happy to take it. Before, speaking of cool stuff, I'm gonna see if I can do this. This literally hit the press in the last 15 minutes. Hit the press, I don't know what that is, but uh, and I'm going to see whether you can do it, but this is, uh, we are going live with this today. You guys may be familiar with Miss Kristen Bell, star of Stage Unscreen, Eleanor Selstrop, Anna from Frozen.
3: Hi, California. There are record-breaking heat waves expected this summer, which means inevitable blackouts, but don't worry. om is a free program, and I mean entirely free, that pays you to reduce your energy consumption at critical times. Not only does own connect pay you, but you can lower your utility bill while you're doing your part to prevent blackouts. They're giving away up to 1 million free smart thermostats and the thermostat does all the work for you. Let's end California blackouts together.
2: Uh, hopefully that came through. Okay. But that's like probably the best thing to ever have in my whole life. Uh, and I have two children. Um, so, uh, We are on a mission here um, and I've been really honored to join it for the last couple of years as we take uh, essentially what is demand response and turn it into a used usable virtual power plant and resource that can be dispatched just like a power plant and instead of a power plant. And we're actually able to do that now and do it at scale and we really want to go do it around the whole world. So Um, certainly around the whole country. So I'm going to share less, way less exciting. I'm going to share some slides now. Uh, So uh, obviously I can't uh, pull Kristen out more than once. Um, But I do want to uh, uh, start off by saying that it took this company seven years. It took five years to to crack the code. It took five years of incredibly hard work with an incredibly diligent team to come in and figure out how do we get lots and lots of individual little customers. Individuals are really hard to engage about anything. They're particularly hard to get engage about anything related to energy. How do you get them to actually do that and then do it over and over again? And then once you've done that nearly impossible thing, how do you get all of those tiny little energy saving bits that we've collected from all of these households all across the state and the country to actually happen all at once in a way that then can be bid in as megawatts into the energy markets. Um, and I uh, am really excited because it took after five years, it, we actually figured out how to do it. Uh, and now we are building what will become, we think the largest virtual power plant in the world and certainly the largest one in North America. So um, we're all, you guys are all familiar. I, I, we took out all the slides about how terrible everything is in the grid because you all know, um, but I want to point out one very specific thing in the California duck curve, which, again, I'm sure you all know the duck curve and maybe it's no longer a duck. Maybe it's um, I don't know. I think Matt Golden called it a half pipe. I'm not really sure what to do with this anymore. But this is what's happening. We have a mini, many, not even that many crisis on the California grid essentially every single day, every single day. The sun comes up and we generate all this incredible energy all across the state and then the sun goes down every day so far. And everybody gets home from work and school and begins to do all of their home things. They turn on their air conditioning. They wash, they do their dishwashers and their washing machines. And of course they do. And so when you look at what happens here at seven, eight o'clock at night in California, you are having the absolute peak, sometimes 50 gigawatt peak. That peak is nearly entirely met by natural gas power plants. That is how we solve this enormous problem. It happens almost every night and the ramp is often 15 or more gigawatts. They're looking at 30 gigawatt ramps in three hours in the next few years in California. And so if we can't solve day in and day out, this problem, this evening peak that happens in California, and by the way, is now happening in Texas and every you know, a lot of you know, Australia and other places around the country, We literally will blow up the grid before we get to zero carbon and there's no way around it. We just have to solve this problem. So that is a problem that I became really fixated on in my previous life. um, And I'm really lucky to have joined up with Matt and team to solve it. The reality is if we want to keep the lights on in California and eventually everywhere across the country, there are only three ways to do it. And the first is you burn natural gas, but we can't really do that anymore because we're going to zero carbon we're going to do a lot of that in California this year in order to keep the lights on. So, and we probably should, it's controversial, but we got to keep the lights on in California this summer. The second thing we do is storage and we need tons and tons of storage and we're getting it. The the amount of storage that just got added to the grid between last summer and this summer is extraordinary. It's like from 200 megawatts to like 1.8 gigawatts. And we need to do that multiple times over. It is expensive and difficult. We don't have the queue behind this is big, but not big enough. And that leaves us residential aggregated demand response. And this is different than traditional, as Duncan said, this is not, you know, we do have an emergency response, but this is also something you pull every day in order to deal with the mini crisis that happens every night. Last year, we were dispatched by KISO over 1000 discrete times on 298 days. So almost every day last year, Ohm Connect was on the grid, supporting grid operations and managing these issues. We bid in from 7 a.m. to about 10 p.m. We do it 10,000 times a day. We tell them exactly how many megawatts we have in the state, where those megawatts are located, and at what price we'll dispatch them. When we clear the market, we turn around and dispatch our users. Today, we have 100,000 devices and appliances in people's homes and 162,000 overall households. So we control number one instant, near instantaneously thermostats as Kristen talked about and smart plugs and all kinds of other cool stuff that allows us to control refrigerators and all kinds of appliances and fun stuff. In addition, we can add behavioral. We send text messages and other elements to help people do more when uh, when necessary. That allows us uh, to get paid on the savings that is measured at the meter on each individual household. And then we turn around and pay our families Uh, Last year, we paid $4.3 million to California uh, participants just for their energy savings, for them reducing their energy use. It's a really simple process. It takes about a minute to sign up, assuming the utility uh, authorization system is up and running, which we run people through, uh, which is obviously not always the case. Um, We'll send you a free smart device. It's been generally a plug. Uh, These are cool. We have lots of different plugs. We also make our own. Um, And now of course we do that with Nest thermostats and other thermostats as well. People then use the uh, automatically save energy. They get text messages on big days and then they can cash out money in the bank, a gift card or they can buy stuff on our store, enterprises that kind of thing. It's a game. And Kadir, the other uh, musketeer here who's not one of the other musketeers, uh, you know, who's our chief technology officer comes out of the gaming industry there's a lot about how you engage people just a little bit and teach them a little bit, have them learn how to win, how to learn, how to make a little more money, how to get better. And they don't realize that what we're also teaching them is what in your house needs uses energy. What in your house is an energy hog? What, you know, we tell people if it makes if it makes things hot or cold, you're probably something you want to hook up to us. Um, so they're learning what to put a plug on and they're learning what to control if we send you a text message so that you can make the most money, make the most points, win the most prizes. Um, We've also integrated devices full into this so that everything you do, the device comes along with it and you can control which devices are available to us when and on what events and you can always opt out uh, at any moment, even during events. We pay you in in points and now what's called Watts and those Watts are how you can cash out for prizes. In an emergency, we showed up. So this is a really fun way to um, to describe something that happened last summer. I've consolidated. We've consolidated stuff into a couple of different, a, a bunch of different things into one slide. But bear with me. In August, California uh, had a heat wave that just broke the grid, and we ended up with rolling blackouts for the first time uh, for twenty in twenty years. During that, those flex alerts during that California heat wave over those few days. We were more active with our customers than we have been in our entire history. In fact, it was more active with our customers over those few days than we had been the entire, uh, what is it, like eight months before. We got our users to reduce uh, a gigawatt hour of energy during those emergency periods and we paid them $1.3 million in the course of a week. Um, It also got a lot of attention because we helped keep the lights on and the state turned its attention and said, whoa, and so on Labor Day weekend, when it almost happened again, we had 47 gigawatts of capacity and a 51 gigawatt um, projected demand, um, we showed up. And we decided dispatching right at the peak, just before 5 p.m. And this is what it looks like. This is Ohm Connect users over a 24-hour period. You're looking at the average. At midnight, you see the energy use goes down over the middle of the night. It comes up during a hot day. This is the flex alert. This is the state declaring an emergency and you can see conservation begins. And then we dispatch and you can see what you predictable, reliable, dispatchable uh, megawatts now looks like. You dispatch, we dispatch, we took out about a third of the load uh, across all of these homes and we sustained it nearly perfectly for two straight hours. And as the grid stabilized over here, we released them and their use went back up if you don't believe us, this is just off the meter, so it's not. It's pretty hard for us to fake it. DOE funded a, a study through recurve and they found the same thing. So a really impressive validation of our ability to show up in an emergency as well as sort of the day-to-day stuff that we do. Um, and that got us to what Duncan said, $100 million. So uh, an affiliate of Alphabet uh, called Sidewalk Infrastructure Partners invested 20 million in equity and 80 million in project finance. This is $80 million for us to build a power plant. It's project finance, except there's no power and no infrastructure. This is all just a network of homes where we control devices and send text messages to people, but it is now reliable enough and economic enough that it is being financed as if it were a power plant we were building with concrete. Um, I don't know if that ever happening before, but it's really cool. Um, It's really hard. This was a complicated deal. Sidewalk's been a great partner, but this is uh, new and we're learning as we go, Uh, but it's working. And today we have, as I mentioned, we've moved everything in California into it. So it is 150 megawatts uh, today of peak capacity heading towards 200 uh, over. And this is a lot of date. We're at 160 plus thousand customers. So I'll turn it over to Matt to talk about some of the the fun uh, stuff going on inside uh, that we're trying to get fixed and worked on around the um, uh, that would help this all work a heck of a lot better.
4: Thanks Osco and great to meet you all. Um, Excited to be here. It's um, love the presentation on Northern Fire and Light. Appreciate that from Emmett and Ethan. so, you know, over the past seven years, we really figured out how we can get paid just like a power plant. And it's working now, but it came with a lot of bumps and bruises along the way. And I'll, I'll just give you an example. Seven years ago, we could do what we're doing, but would require that each one of our users print out a two-page legal document, sign it, and then scan it and send it back into uh, pg and And all for the maybe, you know, $50 to $100 per year. That was a very poor customer experience. Yet we still got hundreds of people doing it because there is a pent up demand for this. There is need for consumers to get involved. We are overcoming barrier after barrier through a bunch of these things um, that we currently see today. And what we need help with is kind of banding together as a distributed energy resource, um, kind of coalition or group of, of companies that say, hey, look, we do care about renewables. We do care about local uh, uh, resources, and we are at the kind of load ends. So um, as Ethan and Emmett were talking about, at the hydro level, you know, we really care about local resources. We're getting paid right now in California, the exact same way um, the Utah coal power plant that is being imported into California is getting paid. And that seems a little bit crazy, Um, But yet we're still able to compete because we are simply reducing demand. So I listed here a few of the existing challenges that we're currently facing. Um, Cisco talked a little bit about the August heat wave. We actually had rolling blackouts on August 14th and August 15th last year. um, And that really created some consternation on the progress of renewables in the entire state, uh, not only the state of California, but also in the entire U.S., But what was crazy is during those times, the day had market prices that say, hey, our grid needs to have power. We're actually only in the $200, $250 range. So we're only getting paid if we were to dispatch, we're only going to be paid $200 to $250. And in in Texas, for example, they actually pegged it. And that that was controversial in in its own right. But when you're having rolling blackouts, prices should not be in the 200 $250. So there have been market pricing failures. Kaiso is working on that. Um, we are seeing multiple ways to cut our performance data. There's an outstanding question of, hey, what is the counterfactual? How much are you actually reducing? And we've been very consistent. And one of the things that DERs have a challenge with is, They don't have the 40 million data points that we have. And we've been able to prove that to the state. And we're hoping to be the kind of tip of the spear that opens up distributed energy resources within California, as well as the rest of the country, to say these are reliable, predictable, dispatchable resources, regardless of what m and V metric you want. But we do have to spend some time saying, OK, we're we're producing this much on this m and V versus m and V versus others. And I'm gonna get into more detail in in a little bit there. We're also at the whim of fighting against regulated programs. So a a lot of the existing demand response programs that you may have heard of are dispatched once a year, twice a year, and people get paid 50 to $75 lump sum, no matter how many times they dispatch. Those those programs are rate-based and we're coming in as a market resource and, and competing on the market level. So we're fighting in kind of an asymmetric level. Um, <clears throat> there are these other two items being used and useful. We're being dispatched, as Cisco said, 300 days out of 365 days last year. That means we're very, very active. We're, I was just looking, we are dispatched earlier today at 2.45 PM. It's kind of a normal day in June. It's a little bit hot, but we, but the grid, Went to a thousand dollar prices, and so we want to be there providing reductionable uh demand at that's, those times. Um, and then you know, what we're looking towards, uh, at a state level as well as a federal level is getting California and um and FERC to really say, hey, we need to drive solar adoption, but in this in the same way that we drove solar adoption 10 to 20 years ago, we need to dra- drive this flexible load. Um, adoption at the same rate. And we're seeing a lot of traction on that front. So there are these challenges that we are facing, but keep in mind, this is a very different place than where we were five, 10 years ago. We've been able to overcome the challenges, um, but I want to highlight one here that we went over earlier this year. So this was an event on August 14th. This was actually the day of the blackouts. I think the blackouts occurred around 6 p.m. And we had an ohm hour and it was an extremely hot day. So what you see here is the average consumption per user, it peaked out about 1.8 kilowatts. And then during our ohm hour, we dropped it um, by about 0.2, 0.3 kilowatts per user. And then it dropped, it spiked back up after the the ohm hour is over. You could see that there's a reduction here. It's not a huge amount, but it's still very visible. What you see in the dotted line below that is what the typical consumption would have been for, for the average set of users in this resource. If you go to the next slide, Cisco, what the baseline, what the predicted amount of usage that these users would have um, used on a typical day is in this red dotted line. And this is what we're compared against. So if you look at the blue solid line versus the dotted red line, they're not even close. They're not even showing kind of uh, apples to apples comparisons. And what that indicates is when we dispatch from 6 6 p.m. to I think 8 p.m., You can see we actually were above the uh, red dotted line and we are actually penalized on August 14th. When we were showing reductions, we were penalized and we had to go back into the market and purchase power to make up for our shortfall, Um, which is crazy. That was just an artifact of this M&V. What we did was... um, we got together with the three state agencies. In California, we have three regulated agencies, CEC, CAISO, CPC. So you have to get them all in the same room and get them to, to talking to each other. But we were successful in doing that. And I think the reality is that people recognize that this is one of the only solutions to keep the lights on for the next year. So we want to have uh, start to minimize all those barriers. So they, the three agencies led a joint agency effort we had some roundtable sessions. We had a lot of discussions with the, um, uh, the commissioners at the CEC and the CPUC, uh, as well as the CEO of KAISO. And they made quick changes. Um, within just a couple of months, they said, okay, we're gonna uh, correct this for the upcoming summer. It did not go retroactively, which would have um, earned us probably half a million dollars if that had happened. But going forward, we can feel more comfortable about dispatching during these extreme weather events. And one of the challenges is that the, the energy markets, and I, I'm sure you guys are familiar with all that's happening at FERC, um, with kind of how do we uh, project resources into the future. Um, we, they recognize that the one in 10 weather event no longer applies. We are seeing consistently more and more extreme weather events, whether it's the, the blizzard uh, and the um, cold snap in ERCOT in Texas earlier this year whether it was the, it was literally in August 14th, it was the hottest day, uh, hottest temperature ever recorded on earth was in Death Valley in California in August, 2020. So we're seeing these extreme, extreme temperatures and these past predicted models don't actually apply. So what we're seeing is a lot of strong leadership from these joint agencies, the, especially the CEO of Kaiso Alliant is saying, hey, we need to, really make some changes and make them now. And so um, we've worked with him to to really get this fixed. Cisco gave a shout out on Twitter and we'll continue to have um, uh, these these dialogues. One note that I just wanted to to close with is we are a very different type of company than than, uh, has traditionally been seen in the energy space. And it's not often you see Kristen Bell you know, Eleanor's Shellstrop shop Self-drop actually speaking towards an energy company. But that's the type of uh, folks that we need to attract. And we're working really, really hard to get to the 99% of people that don't care about energy, that spend eight minutes of a year on energy and make it super simple. And I think I saw a chat of like, hey, you got to be really good about devices. That's what we spent our seven years doing. Um, I, uh, I remember back in 2015, Uh, I had a Tesla owner call me up. We had stopped charging during one of our events and we had neglected to turn it back on. And you only do that once because that was a bad phone call. We had to pay for his Ubers all day and we don't want that to happen again. So we have built a system that says, okay, there's multiple layers of redundancy and uh, safeguards in case that device, say, doesn't come on or it has no access to internet or something like that happens. So we built a a lot of... uh, Work around making sure the consumer um, is is first, and we're very consumer successful on that front. Anything to to close, Cisco?
2: No, it'd be great to have a conversation. This we're we're standing on the shoulders of many of the people on this call in this Zoom room, and it's a real honor to be presenting because this is uh, a hard slog through a lot of stuff. Um, I mentioned Matt and the team's diligence over the years to get to this point, but that's true of most of you here. And um, now the question is, is you can tell part of what we're doing is uh, talking about what we're up to and what we're excited about. But a lot of it is how do we band together and do this together as a, as a group and, and make it successful. And so that's, that's our closing plea. And with that, Duncan, thank you.
1: Awesome, thanks guys. I mean, we have like 30 questions already So I'm going to just start calling on people, if you don't mind. There's a bunch of really good ones. And James and Colleen and Nicole certainly jump in, too, because I'm I'm sure you'll have opinions. I'm going to start with my favorite question so far, and it's not because it came from my boss. But uh, it's my favorite, too. I just texted you about it. So, (laughs) Tim, do you want to jump up here and and ask Cisco and Matt your, your question?
3: Yeah, sure. So, thank you to, uh, to both of you guys for for doing this. Um, I'm a big fan of what you guys have been doing, and from a technology standpoint, I've been following uh, your your activities for quite some time. Um, I, I guess the biggest evolution I've seen with you all is the ability to get regulators to change their mind, which is something that I have been very unsuccessful at for for very many years. And I, I was wondering. I think this is a common problem a lot of people in our industry and a lot of people on this call have. Can you guys maybe like specifically talk about how those conversations with with uh, went, and you know what, what, like what 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 about that actually got them to take action? Because you know the heat wave last last summer was bad, but there have been bad things that have happened on the California grid before, and I think what we've seen is a lot of stagnation. Um, from, from regulators at the CPUC, CEC, you know, the grid operators, the utilities. Um, what about those conversations was different? And like, what, what's the approach that you guys took to, to get them to take action? Matt, do you want to start off?
4: Yeah, I'll, I'll start, but I'm sure, Cisco, you've got some better talking points in this. We've been working on this for seven years, and we've built relationships across all the agencies, across making sure that um, you know, everyone has trust that we have a reliable, predictable resource. And I think that one of the key things that, that we've done, I think really well to, to great success is highlighting some really clear problems. For example, one of the things we did early on, I, I mentioned that two page form, we were able to allow or get the CPUC to allow electronic signatures in 2015. And before that, they had never allowed electronic signatures. And that was the first step to getting electronic authorization. And uh, I see Michael Murray on the call. He's worked with us pretty closely across all of this. But that was, at the time, a very much a no-brainer. Like, look, how can you not accept electronic signatures? And they even got to a point where PGA said, we'll accept DocuSign, but we won't allow allow EchoSign or HelloSign. And so we got, um, I remember getting HelloSign their like, sales rep to actually speak at the CPUC and be like, why are they any better than us? And, and you start to show that there are some great um, places of inefficiencies um, just by clinging on to the status quo.
2: I, I mean, I, I think I, I, the only thing I I, like, I want to add is because what's important is like, this didn't come out of nowhere. Tim, to your point, like this came out of years of work and some progress and some step back. I mean, it, it is just messy. And in California, as those of you who work in California know, is particularly complicated with the different agencies. Um, I think what broke through finally this summer was two things. The first is we've been showing the data for a long time and that's been making progress, but it's been hard to get people to really believe it's true. August changed that. And our ability to show like when the worst grid crisis happened in California in 20 years, we actually performed well above the rating you had given us. We were actually here in the, in the heat of the storm and we dispatched. We also, as you saw from Matt's discussion, we dispatched even though the methodology was going to hose us in the uh, way we got paid. And we did that in part in part because, you know, to some degree it's all automated and it was happening and we're like, what is going on here? But partly it happened because we made a conscious decision to be available to the state in an emergency, even if it wasn't the economic perfect thing for us to do. And we continue to make that decision day after day after day, even as we saw how this was, uh, the M&V and stuff was rolling through, because we wanted to be able to make this point, that it was worth it if I had to lose some money, to be able to say, look, come on, even, you know, and, and I think that really helped. The second thing is we actually had blackouts, right? And there's nothing that quite like, you know, that, you know there's nothing that quite focuses the mind where they say like nothing, you know, nothing quite focuses the mind like a hanging in a fortnight or whatever the saying is, right? That was a huge event. This is your whole life, you know, the, you don't let the lights go off and they did. And I think the fact that that happened and the fragility of the grid became obvi- more obvious and undeniable, uh, at the same time we showed up with some really good data that said even in a pinch we were there for you i think kind of change it it's still hard work we showed one good thing that's been changed there's still lots of other issues we're fighting about and arguing about and there probably will be forever Um, but at least now i think we have a seat at the table and people like elliot who sits down and say how can we help and that is something that's new um and i think uh, it's perseverance a little bit of luck, a lot of data, and then a big hunk and emergency that got everyone's attention.
3: No, thank you guys. And it was uh, it was amazing to see from, from the seats. So, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I hope we can make uh, more progress, especially in California moving forward, but congrats on all your success.
1: All right, another, another question we have, I'm gonna kind of combine a few here just because they're related. Um, but on the, the sort of tension between IOU-led demand response programs and DRAM, um, I think a lot of us are from the East Coast where demand response feels very, very ISO-centric, right? You, you do what PJM's programs allow you to do. Maybe there's some distribution utility programs, but it's, it, it's kind of the inverse of what I think historically has been the case in California. And it frankly, is kind of confusing. I think to a lot of us, it just doesn't make sense. If there's any maybe background on that, like why for so long demand response has purely been an IOU led thing. And then, you know, how the introduction of DRAM has been going. Have you guys been able to, I know DRAM like has a certain allocation that might be smaller than folks want it to be. Any sort of detail you could talk about that.
4: Yeah, there's multiple layers. I try and keep at the high level. Dr- DRAM was a pilot program that really helped kickstart this and get us a seat at the table. But two years ago, we actually got into, or now at this point, three years ago, we got into the broader bilateral RA market. So California doesn't have a centralized capacity market like PJM I, in New England and New York does. Um, they have bilateral. And there was no f- way for demand response providers to, to access that market. Due to our success in DRAM, we were able to actually in, implement that. And that's really what the DRAM is intended to do. It's supposed to be a bridge. It's a pilot to get us to a place where we're providing resources, just like alongside a coal power plant in Utah or a gas power plant in um, Long Beach will allow us to do. So, so that's a little bit on, on DRAM. One of the things that you asked about, which is how is why is it so hard? Look, the, the biggest challenge is it's a technology problem that's intersected with energy. And I'm sure most of us here are from the energy sector. Not a lot of us are thinking on the consumer obsession viewpoint. And a lot of my, my team outside of me and Cisco are really consumer fat guys, people from Zynga or Capital One or Facebook or Google. And they're accessing the same technology that Google and Facebook are using and the analytics behind that. And I think that's a really powerful driver to get the cost down to make this unit economic feasible. Um, it's really hard to, to look at it from a perspective of like going out and selling door to door. That won't work in this type of environment.
2: The only thing I, I would say is everything was utility-centric until pretty recently, right? This isn't unique. Um, and I, I think there's a, a good, you know, I, I, I don't think ultimately we are competing with demand, with utility DR programs as much as sometimes it, it feels like it, we are or we're up against, because they really serve different purposes. There really is this in-emergency break glass capacity to a standard DR program, especially on the residential side, which is in a real pinch, like we had in August, you want to have some emergency switches you can throw and hope it works. This is a really different, it ha, we, what we do has that component and it'd be fun to work more with utilities on some of that, but we also are there every day. And I think people didn't really believe that if you, the experience 10, 20 years ago was if you call events too often, everybody hates it and they quit. What happened in August is instead of quitting, they referred their friends. We had four times the number of referrals that we normally get on a day-to-day basis during that period because we were paying people so much and because we had aligned the emergency with their economic interests. Um, and, and I think that was, that was one of the things that opened the door. And I think that was, makes this different is, you know, this is about how do you engage consumers over and over again in something that they're happy to do and their economic interests are aligned. And we figured out how to do that day in and day out. And that just creates a very different experience. There is another issue, and this may not be true everywhere in the country, but we have seen a lot of data on this, which is that people do not want utilities to control their appliances. Um, that just sounds Scary to them, but for a variety of reasons, because we have earned their trust and are a different type of company, they're more comfortable allowing us to do that and to know that um, you know our responsibility is to them uh, first and foremost. So I think there's a lot of things that have led that to happen, but we want to bring what we're doing in California across the country, and we work with utilities. They buy our power, right? They love that their, their, you know on the supply side we sell megawatts and they need megawatts, so. It's been a really good place where we've moved from for a program conversation over to a supply conversation. And I think we can do that in a lot of other places over the next couple of years.
1: Awesome. Um, So another, we got a few questions from this person. Um, Colin, you started with questions about what Ohm Connect is controlling. Um, Do you wanna jump up here and and ask?
0: Yeah, sure. Hey
4: everybody, I'm Colin Andrews with uh, Grid Singularity based out of Berlin. And um, wondering, you mentioned that you're mostly managing consumer assets and you're doing the smart plug sent out. Are you also curtailing PV and managing storage directly at this point or is that something in the f- planned in the future? Uh,
2: y- yes, so uh, yes, yes, no, yes. <laughs> um, uh, so we, we control about 100,000 appliances and devices. Uh, mostly we know what we're controlling, but sometimes we don't, to be honest. Uh, the first thing we do is we control a lot of smart plugs. And one of the first things when I first started meeting with Matt and team before I joined the company, there was a big shelf and it was full of smart plugs, like just 30 of them or something. I was like, what is that? They're like, oh, that's the graveyard. These are all the smart plugs that didn't work. Because as you heard from Matt, he talked about the Tesla driver. My favorite is the time you have to buy somebody groceries because their refrigerator didn't turn back on again. Um, You also do not want to do that very often. Uh, And so what we learned was only a few smart plugs really worked well enough where we could see the load, we could control, we could schedule, and it worked consistently over and over again for a long period of time. And we began to push those out and get those on wall air conditioners, uh, refrigerators. Look, there's a trust issue. So a lot of times people will start and they'll say, oh, I'll put it on a lamp and I'll just watch. (laughs) I don't trust you yet. I'm going to see. Um, And the lamp itself doesn't actually, you know, do anything for us uh, energy wise. If it's got an LED bulb in it, it's almost a rounding error, but it teaches them that this works and they can trust it. And so then they're willing to put it on something a little more manageable and meaningful. So that process is gone. And it's great now is we can get these plugs out for free to anybody. And it turns almost anything in your house into a smart device. Um, and that's a really great entry point, particularly because 40% of our customers are lower in moderate income, and they tend not to have any smart devices outside of their phone. Uh, we are, they tell us often the first smart thing they've ever installed in their house. Um, so that's the first part. We control tens of thousands of thermostats. Uh, we love thermostats. Obviously that's uh, what Kristen was pushing on and and uh, we can talk more about thermostats, but now we do control coming up on 2000 electric vehicle chargers uh, and we control, um, I don't know, it's, it's in the hundreds. low hundred or so storage uh, systems um, and we can't, you know, and we're learning how to do those and we're seeing some really good benefits. We had people um, with storage and solar and EV charging where we also controlled load in the house during the August heat wave, make more than hundred dollars a day from us because we were able to island them for hours at a time. Uh, and just uh, the amount we were able to drop of load and hold it at the market value was so high. Um, and so we're really looking and excited about how we can start to integrate more of that. Obviously you can't dispatch storage onto the grid yet, uh, um, but uh, that may come. But in the meantime, just the ability to do this sort of DR level is, is actually still very valuable.
4: There's a good story um, when we were first starting out back in like 2015. I remember we'd get a lot of people writing in that said, "Hey, I'm sitting in the dark. I'm doing it," but then they would actually have used more energy than their baseline. And then we start to ask them like, "What were you using?" They were like, "Oh, the AC was running, the laundry machine was running." So people couldn't like put together that their electricity usage actually is in appliances, not in lights. And so. They were willing to sit in the dark, which is not a sustainable pathway. And really, and so we came out with a campaign that says, hey, if you're doing it in the dark, you're doing it wrong. So the idea was, let's make it very minimal. We're not gonna impact your life, but hey, you shouldn't be running your laundry machine um, or your dishwasher during an ome hour. You should really just uh, keep the lights on and watch maybe TV.
1: Some follow-up, if that's okay. Um... So if you're not reading smart meters, and I'm assuming you don't have predictions of how, what they're using versus what they wouldn't use in those sorts of instances, how are you accounting for how much energy each individual customer saves?
2: So we get the smart meter data from every single one of our customers. And we, so we know exactly what's going on with the smart meter. Um, And that, that is essential to us. We need revenue grade. Somebody has to agree on it. Now, some of us also, like I have three of them, but uh have, have real time sort of by second energy monitoring so we can screw around and see it. We do support that in our users. It gives us some real time information as what's happening. And I can see the load on all of our plugs. So I know what I'm, what, what's running and what I'm turning off or cycling. Um, so we do have some other visibility, but ultimately I, it's interesting to say that. I won't name uh, this person, but I got a very senior state government official who called me during the middle of our September 6th dispatch when we were trying to keep the lights on and it was really close to a rolling blackout and asked, How's it going? You know, the dispatch. I'm like, good so far. I think we're doing fine. He's like, you know, we got this. This is fully done the, you know, whatever these users. He said, well, but how many megawatts? I'm like, I have no idea. He's like, what? I'm like, no, I I won't know for days, like (laughs) until the data comes in. I I hope it's good. Mm. Um, It looks like it's going to be okay, but I couldn't tell you. He's like, how do you, yeah. And it it really is surprising that we actually don't have real-time visibility into what we're doing. We had to become reliable and predictable using statistics on all of the times we've tested this the years and that's the five years we were talking about the 40 million tests we've done has given us the ability to predict pretty well like very well but we actually don't know what's happening in real time um which we'd love to see changed but probably won't in the near term then
4: how do you tell people how much money they've earned how
2: do you decide who gets what
4: we tell Um, them 48 hours later
2: yeah we send them an email and a text message that says good you know hey your your stuff's in click here i mean how do you how do you actually distribute you 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 save 10 million dollars how do you distribute that to individual users that's very secret sauce man (laughs) i I mean it's very (laughs) sophisticated and what you would think is oh it's more dollars you pay them the more they those save but it actually doesn't work that way just in the same way that people like gift cards better than paypal deposits there's a lot of behavioral economics that goes into this and this is a lot of the testing and a lot of it is also what i care about is not so much How much did you just save that event? That matters. But how consistently do you do it? And how do I get you to understand that consistency? So that's why you start to see our reliance on streaks and status, because what we're really teaching people is it's really important to do this consistently each time. And that's where devices can be very helpful. Um, And so as we go along, we've learned how to reward people financially for the types of things we want. And it's not just how many kilowatts did you reduce? In fact, that is a terrible way to do it. Um, it, it's generally what people think. Oh yeah, I'll just pay you X. No, it's a much more complicated system of engagement than that. Great, really interesting. Thank you.
1: Well, we have a great question from uh, Joe, Joe Strauman who's here with an OEM and wants to know how to become a partner with Um
2: Cisco at OhmConnect.com. And talk to you soon. Yeah, we, we do work with about 30 different uh, technology and uh, appliance and other vendors around. Um, and we're doing a lot more of that now. And as you saw from the discussion around the thermostats, we're, we're learning how to embed the future grid value into things at the front end. So hopefully we get to the point where, you know, again, we're, we've eliminated that first cost hurdle. Um, I just want to use Nest for a second. This is a little bit tangential. But what we found in the August heat wave when we found last year in general was that people with a thermostat, a smart thermostat perform as you might imagine better than people who don't have one, particularly in a high heat event when we can toggle their, uh, their temperature. What we also found is that people who have lots of money have Nest thermostats and those that don't do not. <laughs> not surprising. A Nest thermostat is like a, you know, or a smart thermostat is a slam dunk right? You have a smart thermostat. You're going to save probably $200 a year on your energy bill, and we're going to pay you a hundred plus dollars. But you need to get one first. So we've started giving them away as long as you install it. And we'd love to take that concept and embed it in everything else we can, where there is grid value. Um, And we kind of hope that whoever that person is, who's interested, you know, reach out because this is exactly the kind of conversations we're trying to have now. And it is, I think the future of some of the work that we're doing in grid services.
1: Very cool. Um, We've got a couple questions about, so you you mentioned kind of like coming to the rescue almost in California during the near rolling blackout situation. A lot of folks are wondering if there's anything you can do to help Texas. They've, uh, we all know they've had some big problems recently. Is there anything that like, it seems like they're very different energy markets, they're regulated differently. And there's almost just like a different ethic behind the way things are approached there like are there if, if one was to go to texas and try to do this would it be meaningfully different or could it be kind of the same playbook
2: go ahead matt yeah he, t- matt's our tech we, we got a team in texas working on it
3: yeah uh, we're, we're in
4: texas I, I don't think you know the blackouts that happened in the full of vortex we couldn't have completely stop those. But there is a way to mitigate this. And I'll just give you some high low statistics. There's four and a half million customers that were out of power during that time. But there are 13 million customers in Texas. And we generally see about 30% reduction from our users. So if you have just 30% reduction across all 13 million customers, you don't have to roll blackouts at that time. Now, of course, that's a pretty extreme case. But there's on the order of 20 to 30 gigawatts of flexible load, primarily in electric heating, where a lot of folks in Texas were encouraged to save energy when they got their power back. So set your thermostat at 50, set your thermostat at 60. But when I talked to folks in Texas, they were all like, dude, as soon as my power came back on, I cranked it up to 80 because I didn't know when I was going to go back out. There was no incentive. And instead of that, like, Asking for the good of your neighbor, do this. What we we've done in California is we incentivize, and in California we paid out one point three million dollars. Really $1. good. So in Texas we would have been able to pay out on the order of hundreds of dollars do per hour for you to I keep like your the lunch heating off. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, exactly. You can imagine the difference of saying, "Hey, please keep your thermostat down. I'll pay you a one hundred dollars a day," and that's what we could have done. And so we're gonna. Uh, our, we'll have our first customer up and running in Texas. We can do essentially the same thing in Texas that we do in California, uh, but we have to uh, do it either with ourselves as a rep or in partnership with other retailers. And uh, we can do both, but we are uh, a retailer in Texas now.
4: Yeah. So if you're in Texas, we'll be there in a couple months, month or so.
1: Oh, very cool. So yeah, it'll be sort of a, a rep first model.
2: Um, yeah. I mean, the basic, basic rep product that, and then right alongside it, the v, you know, what we do with Home Connect, which means that your total cost, your total uh, bill will be a lot lower. Awesome.
1: That's really cool. Um, Hey, Isaac, uh, you had a question that I don't want to butcher. Don't I just jump up here and ask it.
0: Sure. Uh, thanks, Duncan. Hey, guys. Uh, my name is Isaac mays Rothstein. I'm based in Boston with the market research firm Wood Mackenzie. Historically, have looked at microgrids and um, looking at virtual power plants across the U.S. So um, thinking about the contrast between virtual power plants and demand response more broadly, um, and you guys at the beginning talked about um, looking to be the largest virtual power plant in the U.S. I'm curious about how you think about the difference between historic demand response, especially from um mode that is ramped up and down from CNI customers versus what you're doing now. now I
2: think the first quick crack at it. So, and this, this is one of those things that like everybody's head explodes a little bit. Like how can you be a virtual power plant if you don't produce any power? Um, and here's the thing that I, that I say, which is the grid does not care between a megawatt of power produced from a power plant, whatever that's distributed or centralized or whatever, or a megawatt of reduced demand, right? It just needs to be in perfect balance, right? That's all it cares about. Now, 10 years ago, FERC said, hey, wholesale markets, you gotta treat those the same. A megawatt is a megawatt is a megawatt. And I don't care, and you can't care whether or not it's a natural gas plant firing up and giving you a megawatt or a reduction in demand for a megawatt. The problem is it's been really hard to do that in practice. Over day in and day out over and over again, the way essentially a peaker power plant would run, which is in California, peakers run three to 5% capacity. You know, we can do that, um, but that not been traditional DR. Traditional DR is load shed in an emergency. Uh, and traditional CNI DR is, I mean, there's incredible businesses out there doing great work, but it really is designed around... Um, hey, there's a, lot of inter- there's a lot of things we can do in a pinch every now and then, but that's not something we're gonna sort of curtail our operations day in and day out. Mm-hmm. It turns out we can do that with, di- with, with uh, houses. Um, and so what we have done and why we call it a VPP and why it is a virtual power plant is that it, it is, we are producing megawatts. We are just producing megawatts of demand reduction, but we're doing it with the same precision and the same characteristics as traditional power dispatch. Matt mentioned that we be, you know, sort of, I uh, would uh, just sort of re-emphasize this and, and maybe uh, overstate it slightly, since I think he understated it, which is we became the first non-generator in history to ever be approved to sell our megawatts to the entire California energy market as if we were a generator, and that that is a power plant. We are now a power plant. And so we've decided that we'll just call ourselves a power plant, and everyone's head will explode. But eventually, I think people will get the fact that this megawatt, megawatt thing has happened. It's just been very hard, and continues to be hard, uh, for um, people to actually have that lineup and be able to count on megawatts in the same way. So we hope we're breaking through with that. We think we are. Um, we hope others come along and do it too. But this is pretty different than traditional DR has been, and it's not that traditional GR is bad or hasn't performed in other circumstances. We're just just a different thing does that make sense
0: yeah no thank you appreciate
1: that i'm going to do another combo combining two questions um and i think this one's super relevant so not too long ago right we had the colonial pipeline cyber attack and then you know right now in australia one of their biggest meat producer was meat producers was hit by a cyber attack like, how do we think about this in kind of the IoT energy world? Like on one hand, you have folks saying, well, lots and lots of devices means, um, you know, fewer single points of failure, but then you have other people say, hey, it's actually a bigger surface area. Like, how do we think about cyber in kind of the
2: future of VPP world? Uh, Matt and I are ro-shaming and are secretly about who's gonna take this. Uh, I, I can start off, because I talk a lot about this with my team. Um, look, I'm not the tech guy. Um, Matt is closer to the tech guy, but we have some really serious tech talent. And what I'd say is there is nothing that we take more seriously than the protection, but than this issue because it is an absolute make or break issue. Um, and it doesn't. So there are an enormous amount of work goes into protecting uh, our system, our data and the devices we control. Um, that said, I would also say that um, uh There, you know, we're controlling Nest thermostats and Google has that interface. There's just, there are a lot of points here um, that may, you know, nobody in my shoes should ever stand up and say it's perfect and nothing will ever go wrong. That is not the world we live in. Um, We do live in a world in which we can protect against a lot of stuff in a lot of really important ways. We can be really smart and thoughtful about it. And we can have multiple layers of redundancy that protect we do see people trying to get into the system. We have been very successful at keeping them out and, and seeing what's going on and dealing with it. Um, but we, uh, you know, that has always remained well-protected. The thing that I would also say, though, is we are also protected by the diversity of what we do. This is not a single device in a single home with a single point of entry. And you, as a consumer, also can override it by hand anytime you want. So this isn't a situation like a pipeline where somebody can seize control and that's it. This is a situation in which in a terrible situation in which our ability to control things was somehow limited. You have total control yourself and you can just unplug it if you want. You can also just press the button on that or change the setting. So we've protected the consumer all the way down to them having ultimate control. And so when I talk about that, it's important for consumers to know they have the control, but it's a safety thing too. They always can say, no, I I wanna take back this, this thing. There's 30 different uh, vendors that we deal with and all kinds of different stuff and they all have different things and that's both a blessing and a curse. And then we have some of the smartest people working on it. And so we're going to do everything we can to be protective around it. I'm really proud of the success we've had so far, um, but this is the world we live in and it's not like Colonial whoever else didn't take that seriously too. I mean, we're, we're just, you know, we got we to gotta live a very, we got to be on it every single day. And we are, I mean, honestly, at two in the morning sometimes I see the team as like, there's you know, some unusual activity and they're on it.
4: My co-founder, Kadir, um, Cisco's mentioned before, he's had two companies before. The first one put uh, software on all sorts of PCs, millions of PCs um, that they actually upload software onto. And then uh, Zynga, of course, went to hundreds of millions of devices. So he is very in the, in the thick of it. They definitely got uh, cyber attacks when he was at Zynga. I will say, on the other hand, you also, uh, as Cisco pointed out, this is common across the industry. I remember when I was trading electricity, New York ISO, the New York ISO, sent me data on our competitors. Like that shouldn't have happened. I've gotten data from uh, PG&E that we shouldn't have gotten. So this happens, and it's all about putting the policies in place and recognizing these problems. And we've seen kind of the, the whole gamut of, of actors and we lean towards the actors that are saying, oh, this was a problem, we fix it as opposed to sweeping that under the rug. Awesome. I think, yeah, that's that's super helpful to think through
1: through that. Um, I know it's on a lot of people's minds right now. Okay, we have time for just a few more. We're almost at that 7.30 Eastern mark. Um, she, Anna, you, you had a question that, I think we we haven't gotten to yet or even really touched. Do you want to jump up here and ask it?
3: Hi, I'm Shyana. Um, So I thought that this was super interesting and exciting. Was curious to know
1: if your company is looking to expand this. Like it seems that you're focusing on um like residential customers and like how they can improve and be engaged in energy. But I was also wondering if you're looking at that from like um, building owners perspective perspectives like with large commercial buildings um, or even colleges and universities um, because I could see it fitting in there too and being able to deliver those megawatts um, back to the grid
3: with some of the solutions that you guys are providing.
4: That hasn't been a core focus. Our technology is really on the end user. Again, I'll I'll reference Kadir. Kadir uh, was going to be the CTO of, of uh, what's the dating app um, that you swipe left and right? Tinder, Tinder. That's yeah, funny. so you're good. And they, they literally, they were running experiments on the microseconds it takes when you swipe left versus right and they aren't the same. And so we've spent a lot of time building similar types of experiments on what is going to engage a customer. That's a very different technology than the bespoke efforts on the commercial side of this building management system that's got all these pieces as opposed to you know, thermostats, smart plugs, certain core devices within your home that we control and control really well. Yeah, and,
2: we're, and as we start to look at, so 100%, and we do have some small commercial that shows up. I think it's a lot of our customers that bring it to their office or something, and, and it's totally fine. We're not opposed to finding other ways to use what we're doing. But to Matt's point, there's a lot of great companies doing larger scale commercial and other kind of institutional mush market and other sort of applications if there's something they can't do that we can happy to have that conversation, but um, certainly we, that is not our skill set and there are people that have it. Maybe one middle ground
1: though is a uh, multifamily building owners. As yeah. We've
2: been having a lot of fun conversations around that. Um, obviously lots of interesting ways to sort of engage with uh, tenants and other stuff and lots of ways to put free stuff in, in people's homes and, So, yeah, we're excited about the ability to do that. And I think about a third of our customers are renters. And that's actually, you know, clean energy benefits haven't accrued to the rental community that much. I know community solar is really starting to get there. And this is a nice one for it. Uh, So we're definitely interested in opening the conversations on multifamily.
1: Great. Okay. Final, final audience question here, then. Um, Sean Grimes, he he had some questions about engagement. And Matt, I think you were just Kind of getting into that a little bit, Sean. Do you want to jump up here for our for our final question? Yeah, sure. Um, so you guys actually touched on a little bit. Hey, Sean Grimes, work at Leap. Um, was curious a little bit about kind of how customers come back to the app. You know, you talked a little bit about the onboarding experience at the beginning, and Cisco, you touched on kind of the streaks and um, some of those aspects. After I asked the question, but how do customers use OnConnect? You know,
0: month three, month four, month fifteen um, after signing up.
2: Yeah, there, there's a, a really nice mix. Um, and obviously we do want people to come back periodically, but it's not necessary to come back all the time. And a lot of people, so there are, there are a lot of customers that are pretty into it. I think tens of thousands that like check it pretty regularly and they're just kind of on it. Um, and for a variety of reasons, and that's great. Um, there are other customers that are more set it and forget it. And I think of these as like your frequent flyer mile people, right? Like you collect your miles and every now and then you're like, I wonder if I have enough for that trip. And you go and check and so we have a lot of people like that who've set things up and got it going and they're going to check every couple of months because they want to see their balance and see what's available and that kind of thing. And then there's people who set it and forget it and forget it. We have people who are like two years in. They're like, whoa, wait a minute. Am I still part of this thing? And I, how much money have I made? This is amazing. Um, so there are a whole range of folks, but we do spend time not trying to force people back in all the time. A lot of times you know in the world of, of consumer tech, they're like, well, daily you know monthly average user, all these various methodologies to sort of test how engaged the user is. And what we say is, did they what percentage of our users reduced during the event? That's what matters. All right Now ultimately that's pretty correlated with people that come back to our site pretty regularly. but it doesn't matter whether they came back every day or came back every few months. Uh, what matters is that uh, they're reducing each time. So we tend to focus a lot on that. Um, and then periodically give people reasons, new reasons to show up and check it out and see what's going on in the reward side or what else they could do here to to sort of see what's going on. I don't know if Matt, you wanted to add anything on that. Lots of testing, lots of experimentation. Cool, super interesting, thank you.
1: Okay, so I lied. We have one final, final question, I'm sorry. Um, Elta asked one and when Elta asks a question, you gotta get her up on, on stage. Elta, do you wanna ask yours?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, well, nice nice to see you both. Um, I'm wondering kind of, because you did speak about grid services, I know location matters. Um, is that something that you're kind of increasingly looking to target?
4: Yeah, we're at least in California, we're certainly seeing some constraints that are happening, like the 245 event that we saw today, that was in a specific location. The Sierra region and, and PG&E is certainly high, higher value right now. So we're always kind of Managing around the higher value, but we also kind of manage around the the highest load reductions that our users can get. So Fresno, for example, are are provide a lot more reductions than users in in San Francisco.
1: Cool. Um, All right, well, we have one minute left. So I think that's the end. Um, Cisco and Matt, thanks for joining us. This was really cool. Uh, We always try to just end with though asking if there's anything the DER task force community can do for own connect. Um, I don't know if you have some roles you're looking to hire for certain channels. You really want to talk to uh, people in other markets. You're just exploring what, what are the key things you're looking for that maybe
2: someone in the community can connect you with. Love it. Um, Thank you guys. Thank you for having us. It's, I mean, I know it sounds, you know, it's really an honor to be here with all y'all. This is, this is important important work and it goes unnoticed and it's fun when you can break through a little bit and I, I appreciate that we get to have that conversation, but uh, this is um, also really critical that we're all successful and, and that's really what Matt was focused on, which is one, we have some policy stuff we're working on. If there's any interest or engagement around that, please contact Matt and we'll put in touch with our team. Um, we really want to make sure we have a broad uh, community that's speaking on behalf of the opportunity to revolutionize the grid. Um, the second thing I would say is absolutely people who are interested in uh, jobs or anything else that are happening, we do keep the jobs up on the uh, post on the site. We, we, we've we doubled the size of our team in the last few months. Um, we're, uh, and there's there's definitely more jobs to be hired. But um, also, just in the ecosystem around it, place opportunities for us to play a role. There's so many ways that this is gonna, that this can be helpful that we don't know or understand, and uh, or things that we could do better that we haven't thought of. So please, just make it a community where we hear all of that. The last thing is, June is a really big month for us and for the state, and we're under enormous pressure, and we like it. Uh, but to sign up as many people this month as possible, because this is the last thing anybody can do to try and avoid blackouts this summer. So, anything that's going to get built has now been built. Anything that's going to come online is now online. The last thing that anybody can possibly do is sign up for Ohm Connect, hook something up, and be part of what we're doing. And we're giving away enormous amounts of stuff right now in a sort of, I would say, desperate attempt. We're not desperate, but we, the state, we are all community trying to avoid blackouts. So, if you're in California, you know people, please let them know to sign up. Our biggest barrier is that we're a free service that gives away free stuff and pays you. And so that sounds awesome, except what it really sounds like is a scam. Um, And we have an enormous amount of trouble getting over that. Uh, And so, Kristen Bell is actually, as fun as that is, it's totally designed to deal with trust issues. Uh, People trust issues. People trust Kristen uh, more than they trust me, apparently. But they'll trust you because they know you. So please help us. Um, this is how we're going. This literally could, how we can do it. If we are successful, literally, the amount we're trying to put on the grid now would be enough to have eliminated one of the two uh, blackout days. So this isn't this isn't nothing. This is actually by itself enough that we could have cut the lights on one of the two days we had blackouts.
1: All right, everybody. Yeah, send people to homeconnect.com and uh, put DER Task Force in the in the uh, who sent you here note.
2: Um, yeah, we, we actually pay $50 per sign up right now. So ah. Duncan, if you, can, if you want to get a code, you'll uh, hook you guys up. We can all get swag. <laughs> awesome. use the cash.
3: <laughs> cool.
1: Well, thanks guys. This was, this was, this was super fun. Maybe, maybe in a year we can get you back to let us know about how, uh, how, how July of 2021
2: went. Well, if it goes well, we'll be happy to come back. <laughs> not if it doesn't go well <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't go well will see you later <laughs>
1: cool thanks everybody we'll see you next month bye
0: bye All right, DR task force that'll do it for the episode thank you so much for staying tuned I hope you enjoyed the presentation you get to really see the strength of our community and great questions great discussions you know honestly that's what it's all about so great great event Please let us know what you thought about this format. We're trying it out. We definitely want some feedback. If you guys want to reach out to us on Slack or Twitter or, you know, send us a note on the website, it'd be great to hear the feedback so we can keep these uh, bonus episodes rolling. Thanks again for tuning in. And don't forget to subscribe on our website, dertaskforce.com, so you can
3: check all the latest meetups and podcasts. Have a good one.